Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines were supposed to face their first road test of the 2023 college football season. And despite playing in 93-degree weather with 20-mile-per-hour winds, which can be a deciding factor in passes, field goals, the weather can wear down on you and test your conditioning. Michigan, in my opinion, has one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the country, and it's not like it was 100 degrees with high humidity, but it was still a little bit of a concerning factor if Nebraska was able to compete in this game. Michigan was only favored by 17 points. Many people picked Nebraska to cover and play in a close game, and the only reason I didn't is because looking at these teams on paper, it was much like Wisconsin versus Michigan in 2021 where Michigan was traveling on the road. They hadn't played anyone yet, in truth. And on the surface, it looked like they had some struggles of their own. But despite Wisconsin being a favorite, Michigan looked like the better team for the first third of 2021, far better than Wisconsin. And logically, I could only pick Michigan to go into Madison and win, more likely dominate than win, and they did. It was a similar story here. Memorial Stadium is a beautiful stadium. I hope to go there one day. Um, there's about 90,000 fans, close to 90,000 fans. The actual number is 87,000, 85,000 around in there. And all those fans mostly are Nebraska fans who are passionate, who are dedicated, who are patient, long-suffering. This is a fan base that if a game is close... Um, they are going to unleash their anger and unleash their passion on the opposing team. And not in a mean way. It's also one of the nicest fan bases in college football, kindest. And I think they're the most dedicated and the best fan base overall in college football. That's how highly I think of the Nebraska fan base. Um, the problem was their football team is not the best team in college football. In fact, it's very far from that. I thought Michigan was the best college football team entering week five, and coming out of week five, I'm even more confident in that. Michigan crushed Nebraska. This was never a game. The first drive, Michigan comes out, they eat five minutes and 40 seconds of clock. They run down Nebraska's throat, and then Roman Wilson has an awesome, acrobatic, insane catch where he catches the football on Isaac Gifford's helmet, like behind Isaac Gifford, who was in coverage. He Foolishly didn't turn around. Um, could have been a P.I. call had it not been caught. But nonetheless, it was an awesome catch by Rowan Wilson. Michigan's up 7-0. And then Nebraska, two plays into their drive. Michigan's defensive line tips Harburg's pass. And Kenneth Grant picks it off. Picks off a tipped pass. And then three plays, 29 yards, only one minute of clock. And Michigan's third-string running back, Kalel Mullings, takes it 20 yards to the house in a heavy set. That point in retrospect was probably the play where I could have said this game is over. Because Kalel Mullings is meant to be kind of a fullback. He has athleticism, but he's big, muscular, low center of gravity. was a linebacker last year, and then Michigan made it 
you know, made him go the full mile and transition to a running back fullback hybrid for him to, you know, find a hole, penetrate Nebraska's defense and take it 20 yards to the house signifies to me that Michigan is just the much more dominant team. And also that Mullings is a great running back and he's made the transition well. He looks much better and more natural at the position than he did last year. But the first quarter ends, it's 14-0. Nebraska, after that, drives down. They eat about six minutes of clock. They fail on a fourth and one play where Heinrich Harburg is put in the shotgun to take the snap directly himself. And despite getting some initial penetration up front, um, Kenneth Grant, Chris Jenkins, Josiah Stewart, Derek Moore, Braden McGregor, um, Jalen Harrell, whoever was in that rotation on the defensive line, perhaps five of them as it was a fourth and one situation, a Ben Scott, Turner Corcoran, none of Nebraska's offensive linemen stood any hope of making that play work. Unless Heinrich Harburg was perhaps in a quarterback sneak formation, maybe he could have utilized that initial push and Nebraska could have gotten some points off of that. But at the end of the day, that one play being changed probably doesn't matter. Michigan was uber-efficient all day. J.J. McCarthy was 12 of 16 for 156 yards and two touchdowns. He made great throws all day, wasn't sacked a single time, to my knowledge. And Nebraska had the number two rushing defense in the country entering this game. And Michigan ran for almost 250 yards, 249 to be exact. And they averaged 4.9 yards per carry with three rushing touchdowns. And that was a rushing total, the average yards per carry at least, that was diminishing throughout the day. Before halftime, it was close to about six yards per carry. Michigan dominated here. And it was a very painful game for Nebraska. I imagine it's going to be their worst game of the, the whole season. I think Michigan's that good. I think they're an elite team. And Nebraska isn't that. Nebraska is a average at best, more likely below average or bad football team right now. Um, I think they'll find their way to get bowling, and we'll talk about that more in this episode. That's more so because the Big Ten West is so bad. I mean, Purdue, who is 1-3, who doesn't have a defense and whose offense is sporadic at best, Put 44 points on Illinois, who's now 2-3, and 0-2 oh in conference. Illinois has also struggled with a plethora of MAC opponents. Northwestern had one good win against Minnesota. Other than that, they beat a 1-5 UTEP. They got dominated by Rutgers after hanging with Penn State for a half. Penn State dominated them, and they got dominated by Duke. And they would have gotten dominated by Minnesota had P.J. Fleck not taken his foot off the gas. And then we know that Iowa, despite being 4-1, and one, almost losing to Michigan State yesterday and needing Michigan State and Noah Kim to make several awful turnovers. I'm going to make a video reacting to that game, so stay tuned for that. We know that if Michigan State played better football, that Michigan State probably would have won that game as well. That was anyone's game entering the fourth quarter. So Nebraska's schedule moving forward, I think, primes them to improve off of last year, record-wise. But this team does have a lot of work to do. Whenever you lose 45-7, to 7, no matter who it's to, 
And Michigan scored all of their 45 points before Nebraska put up their seven. It was 45 nothing um, with four minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. You have work to do. You have things to improve on and to work on. And a quick note to Nebraska's fan base, and again, we'll touch more on Nebraska later in this video when we talk about you know the loser of this game in depth. Nebraska's fan base, they don't deserve this. Now, Matt Rule is known as a builder. He tears things down and then builds them back up over time. But um, I just, I feel for you guys if you're a Nebraska fan. I, I really feel for you. I mean, hosting in your stadium, one of the best teams in the country, you know that you have some potential matchup advantages or you know, schemes you can draw up to at least make it fun and competitive for maybe a quarter or two. And you have bad play calling, bad execution, and Michigan, even when Nebraska played a great game or great series, Michigan at the end still dominated that series. It's just got to be painful. So I feel for you guys. We'll talk more about Nebraska again later in this video. Before we resume, make sure to subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, and like this video, and also comment your reaction down below. I encourage you especially to subscribe and hit the notification bell. That way, this awesome community can reach 20,000 subscribers at the end of the season. And you can also get notified when I release my Michigan State-Iowa reaction video or Penn State-Northwestern reaction video. And also some other reaction videos, some in the longer format that we're used to, and also some in the shorter format from around the country. Also, for Nebraska fans, I will be previewing your game against Illinois that's occurring this Friday at 8 p.m. So if you hit the notification bell, you'll get notified when that preview releases. And as of now, I'm sort of sticking to my preseason prediction. This is a way too early thought. I would favor Nebraska over Illinois, but we'll have to see. Again, there will be a prediction video released this week that will document my official prediction. My player of the game is wide receiver Roman Wilson for Michigan. He had two elite catches for touchdowns, and he was four. He had four receptions for 58 yards, and he had two receiving touchdowns. Roman Wilson right now has 326 receiving yards on 19 receptions. He has eight receiving touchdowns already. He's quickly becoming Michigan's wide receiver one by a wide margin. That's not even close. Michigan on the season right now has 11 passing touchdowns. Roman Wilson has eight of them. Samaj Morgan has one. Peyton O'Leary has one. And Cornelius Johnson has one. Roman Wilson is averaging 17.2 yards per reception. He's Michigan's most athletic wide receiver. And at this point, Michigan's best overall wide receiver. And it's awesome to see him blossom. Um, really is. He has a very high ceiling. He's one of the fastest players on the team. He runs great routes. He makes great decisions. He has great hands. And he's just, he could be an elite player at the end of the year. I, I don't know if I'd call him an elite player right now, but I think near elite, certainly. He's had five great games, and they haven't been against phenomenal defenses, but against Rutgers and Nebraska, he performed similarly to how he did against East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. So his success is translating no matter what team Michigan has played 
so far, and I've been very impressed with him. Another player who could be my MVP for Michigan in this matchup could be J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy yesterday went 12-16. of 16. He also had 30 rushing yards on the ground and one rushing touchdown. He had 156 passing yards, two passing touchdowns. He had a 99.2 QBR, and he had a 198.2 passer rating. According to ESPN, J.J. McCarthy has the number one quarterback efficiency in the country with a 94.2 QBR. Uh, let me know what you think of that in the comments section below. That implies that J.J. McCarthy is the nation's most efficient quarterback at this current moment. Not necessarily the best quarterback, but the most efficient. I don't think he's the nation's best quarterback. Um, I don't know what to think about that um, QBR ranking, though. I'll have to think about it for a few more hours or a few more days. But McCarthy has certainly played well this whole season. The game against Bowling Green certainly looks more and more like a fluke. Um, something that I talked about with Corn Crazed on our live stream previewing this game, actually, was about J.J. McCarthy and some of my concerns with turnovers. And Corn Crazed hit me with a good point and a good argument that I couldn't defy really in that moment other than saying that he does have some turnover concerns, but they're not really, they're not awful, at least dating back to last year. Basically, the TCU game, Michigan came out flat. They weren't motivated. That in itself was sort of a fluke performance by the Wolverines. And it was similar with Michigan and McCarthy against Bowling Green. Now, outside of those two games, J.J. McCarthy had some games where he looked below average or he had a very high ceiling but also a very low floor. He wasn't necessarily turnover heavy last year, though. He had 22 passing touchdowns and five interceptions. This year, he has 10 passing touchdowns, and he has three interceptions. And this year, he has a 190 passer rating, and he has a much higher quarterback efficiency rating through five games than he did last year through five games. So I think he's certainly an improved player, and... I think I'm confident enough to say that the game against Bowling Green, there's still some concerns about McCarthy forcing passes, but I think it's safe to say that that game was a fluke. After all, Nebraska has one of the better defenses that Michigan has faced so far. I think Rutgers had the best passing defense. McCarthy averaged over 10 yards per attempt versus them. Nebraska had a better rushing defense, and McCarthy was still able to keep the defense honest with his two scrambles. And he threw for nearly 10 yards per pass attempt as well. He has much tougher defenses to face. Like Penn State's and Ohio State's are going to be better defenses than Nebraska's and Rutgers's by a mile. But right now, he's looking like a great near-elite, potentially elite quarterback. But let me know what you think about ESPN ranking him as the nation's most efficient quarterback. I'm very curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Um, defensively, Kenneth Grant for getting the interception. That's another player who I could name on that MVP category. And Sharon Moore, outside of calling one bad series after Michigan's third drive for a touchdown, which was of 88 yards, he had a good game calling plays. I mean, Michigan was able to pass. They were able to convert on third down often. I liked the tempo and the rhythm that Michigan got into. I know Sharon Moore is not a player, but he's the offensive coordinator. And Michigan right now, I think, is the most talented offense they've ever had under Jim Harbaugh. 
They have their most talented quarterback, their most talented running back room, one of their more talented wide receiver cores, and offensively, their most talented offensive line. And same with tight end with you know Colston Loveland and also A.J. Barner, who was Indiana's best tight end last season. Michigan was 8 of 13 on third down, and they were 2 of 3 on fourth down. That The only fourth down that they failed to convert was at the end of the game with their third stringers in. They had 463 total yards, 249 of them were rushing, 187 of them were passing, and they had 26 first downs. Sharon Moore had a phenomenal game in my mind. Again, outside of that one series where Michigan tried to pass once, they tried to pass again, and at that point they put themselves in a pass-heavy situation on that fourth drive where they went three and out. Josiah Stewart had two sacks. Two tackles for loss. He had three solo tackles and five total tackles. Derek Moore had a sack, a pass defended, and three total tackles. Michigan on the day had four sacks, four TFLs, five passes defended, and 43 total tackles. Kenneth Grant also had an interception. And Kenneth Grant, outside of that interception on the day, I'm looking at his statistics here. I think he had a few. I think he had a few tackles. Um, Kenneth Grant right now is starting in place of Mason Graham, who's out for a few weeks with some injuries, and he's starting alongside of Chris Jenkins. So Michigan had players stepping up everywhere. On the defensive line, the offensive line had amazing pushes all day. J.J. McCarthy didn't get sacked a single time. Nebraska only had one tackle for loss, three passes defended. They had 81 total tackles which compared to Michigan's 43 just reflects how long they were on the field for. Michigan had 38 minutes and one second of possession. Nebraska had 21 minutes and 59 seconds of possession. So Michigan dominated in every facet, every part of the game. And honestly, with how Georgia struggled, Washington struggled, Ohio State had a bye week, this game solidified my opinion that Michigan, as of this very moment, is the best team in the country. I know that their strength of record is not impressive, but as I've explained multiple times, I think to all of you, I don't really take strength of record into large account at this point in the season. Really, when I begin to take strength of record into account, somewhat is about now, but even then, it's mostly eye test, and it will be mostly eye test for the whole season. When we start to get into the middle or late of October, and especially the month of November is when strength of record is going to be king, at least when there isn't an obvious distance between teams in terms of eye test. For example, if Georgia began to look like 2020 Alabama starting next week or whenever their next game is played, I don't know if they have a bye, even with their week schedule, if Texas was also 12-0, but Georgia just looked that much better, despite Texas having the better wins, I would rank Georgia ahead of Texas. Georgia, for example, it's not their fault that they play in the SEC East, one of the weakest divisions in Power 5 football, at least when, you know, the ACC and the Pac-12 had divisions for a long time. It was just Georgia, no one else. Tennessee last year had some promise. So did South Carolina. That was one of the better years for the SEC East. It's not Georgia's fault that they play in a weaker division, so therefore I'm not going to penalize them 
That's what I don't necessarily like about strength of record. You are rewarding teams for playing tough games, but you also can punish teams or undervalue teams who look much more impressive and are much more efficient, and we can confirm that with statistics. But just because someone beat a team who at the time was ranked very high, we're going to reward them instead. So there's a debate. I tend to lean more toward eye test and advanced analytics rather than strength of record, at least before the month of November and obviously before the college football playoff. But that's just me. Let's talk about the losers of this game first. We like to save the winners and the best for last on this channel. Nebraska 305 offensive yards, though a lot of those yards were in the second half. For example, Josh Fleeks had one carry for 74 yards for a touchdown at the end of the game. You take that play away against Michigan's, I assume, second and third string defense, Nebraska's less than 250 total yards. They have less than 10 first downs, and Michigan shuts them out. Nebraska had a streak of over 300 games where they at least scored a point, and Michigan came very close to ending that. Heinrich Harburg went 14 of 25, and he had one interception that was not his fault. And on the day, he had nine carries for negative two total yards. He got sacked a total of four times. By Michigan, he was held to a 114.9 passer rating, and he had a 35.3 quarterback efficiency rating which makes him the 104th most efficient quarterback, according to ESPN. However, let's check on a guy named Jeff Sims. Jeff Sims is a 30.2 QBR. Not much worse than Heinrich Harburg, but Harburg, in my mind, I just want to briefly talk about this, he's the guy at quarterback, in my mind. Michigan has likely the number one defense in all of college football. If not, it's certainly an elite defense of top five, four, or three caliber. And the Big Ten has a lot of those this season. Um, Iowa's, I don't think I would put up in that category, but Ohio State and Penn State certainly can contend for that. If Georgia can figure out how to stop a competent rushing attack, they would also be up there. I think Georgia has one of the better passing defenses in the nation. They just have a problem with stopping the run that Auburn very much exposed. So. Nebraska faced a very elite defense, um, a defense full of NFL players like Chris Jenkins. Will Johnson will be a future NFL player. Rod Moore will be an NFL player. Junior Colson will be an NFL player. Ernest Hausman will be a future NFL player. And Josiah Stewart, Jalen Harrell, and Braden McGregor, I think, will be NFL players as well. I mean, Michigan has NFL players at almost every position on defense. And also on offense. Um, they're just one of the best rosters in all of college football right now. And they have one of the best coaching staffs in college football. And their experience is really second to none. Like the, the team's chemistry and their experience is second to none. And with the greatest strength and conditioning staff in America, I'm telling you guys, for those of you who don't believe, Michigan is better than they were last year. And for a lot of teams, that is a intimidating and frightening idea. Like for Penn State or even Ohio State, who has to take the road and play in Ann Arbor, likely in the snow and in winter weather, which Michigan is built to win in. And outside of those two teams, Michigan doesn't really have much of a schedule. They at, at worst are going to go 10-2 and 2 
I think 11 and 1 and 12 and 0 is more likely. But again, we'll have to see. Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State all had games in which they have had some struggles and appeared to have some vulnerabilities. I'm bringing that up to talk about Nebraska because you can't take much away from Nebraska in this game other than this team's in an obvious rebuild. That's all you can take away. And Nebraska was never supposed to be an 8, 9, or 10 win team in year one. That was never supposed to happen. That was never going to happen, even with the West being weaker than I anticipated. I overrated Iowa. I overrated Minnesota. I even overrated Illinois, despite the fact they didn't have them in my top 25. The West outside of Wisconsin is a living crime. It's horrible. I mean, just look at Illinois-Purdue yesterday, or watch Michigan-Nebraska again. That's the Big Ten West. Watch Iowa versus Michigan State. Michigan State could be the worst team in the Big Ten East. I never thought I would say that. They competed with Iowa and led Iowa for much of that game. Iowa is probably a middle-of-the-road Big Ten West team. In fact, they might be in you know, the top three of the Big Ten West still, even though their offense stinks and Cade McNamara might be out for the season just because they have a good defense and they have a great special teams unit. But Nebraska, they're in rebuild mode. And for the people that I saw calling for Matt Rule to be fired, whether it was in my live chat, you know, live reacting to this game and calling it, or when Corncraze did his live show about an hour after the game ended, that's lunacy. That is that's insanity. Don't be calling for Matt Rule's head. This is a rebuild. He's, he has to flush out the program and flush out bad players and bring in his recruits. And right now, Nebraska has a top 30, top 25 recruiting class. The, the Cornhuskers, look, Scott Frost, Mike Riley, Nebraska's dealing with eight years, eight years of coaches who unintentionally or in some cases, perhaps intentionally, if they were just aware of what they were doing, were destroying Nebraska football. Matt Rule is not going to rebuild Nebraska football in one year, probably let alone two years, even with the transfer portal, partially because that's not the style that he's accustomed to and that he wants to execute with in Lincoln. And also because, look, Deion Sanders, for example, he played TCU who lost to West Virginia at home. TCU's not a good football team. Nebraska's not a good football team. And Deion Sanders is one of a kind. He's a jack of all trades. He's intelligent. He motivates his players. He's flashy. He's a good NFL prospect. And he has two sons who are playing at Colorado who, because of you know genetics and the fact that their father trained them and mentored them are phenomenal athletes. He was able to acquire talent far more almost effortlessly compared to any coach in the country. And that's a credit actually to Deion Sanders and the, the work, the body of work that he accomplished since his high school playing days all the way up until now. That's why I think he'll succeed at Colorado and succeed in Big 12 play. But even Colorado, Watching that USC game, I don't. I think USC is a middle of the road Pac-12 team this year, and USC I still have in my top twenty. But 
I think that the Pac-12 is just that good. Colorado still lost to USC, and if Lincoln Riley didn't take his foot off the gas, USC might have covered. They were dominating that game in the first half. The problem is Colorado just never gives up. They hung around long enough, and if Shadur Sanders didn't take a few sacks, and if, look, if, if Travis Hunter might have been in that game, things maybe could have been different at the end, but they weren't. Colorado will probably finish with five or six losses. I think that's very reasonable. And Nebraska, if they started Heinrich Harburg at the get-go, or if Jeff Sims was not a turnover machine, and if the offensive line hadn't been poorly recruited and developed for years on end, that game could have gone differently in Nebraska's favor. Same with the Minnesota game. So football's a game of inches. It's a game of preparation. It's a game of execution. It's game planning. And when it comes to these rebuilds, it's of utilizing what you have. And there's not much that Nebraska has, especially in terms of the offense right now. Isaiah Garcia-Castaneda is injured. That means there's not much of a passing game outside of Billy Kemp and Thomas Fedoni when he's on the field. Turner Corcoran has to be one of the worst offensive linemen in the country. Ben Scott's a competent center, but you look at Turner Corcoran, for example, and other parts of the offensive line, they're just horrible. And these are players who they probably are who they are. You're not going to develop them into being good offensive linemen. So you have to recruit and flush them out and bring in new blood and new players. And you improve and you go from there. The offense was just ineffective. The defense, I would also say, is ineffective. But when the offense did them no favors, failing on fourth down, giving them short field, I pin more of this on the offense than the defense. Michigan's offense, by the way, is still going to be underrated after this game. They played with, you know, a Navy a Navy SEAL sniper caliber of efficiency against Nebraska. The minute those teams took the field, Michigan already won. I'm just looking at how this game panned out. But Nebraska's in an obvious state of rebuilding their program. I think hein, um, Heinrich Harburg has to be quarterback one moving forward. And the whole team just played flat. So not a good performance by Nebraska, but they're in a rebuild. This is expected. And as long as they can win some games in Big Ten West play, there should be hope and there should be optimism moving forward. You cannot give up if you're a Nebraska fan. I know that the past eight years have been absolutely miserable. But I think Matt Rule is better than Scott Frost. I think he's better than Mike Riley. We've seen improvement on the offensive line and also among the defense immediately in year one. The problem was Matt Rule stuck with the turnover machine at quarterback. And I like Jeff Sims. I hope he improves. But sadly, that is who he is. And he came right out of the gate against Minnesota and Colorado, who in retrospect are some of the tougher teams probably on Nebraska's schedule, which is sad to say. Minnesota and Colorado aren't good football teams, but the Big Ten West, very vulnerable probably once again the weakest division or one of the weakest groups of teams in Power 5 college football up to this point. For Michigan, they had over 400 total yards of offense. They covered for the first time this season. They had six total touchdowns. They're one of college football's most dominant teams. 
Their offense and defense were elite. Trench play was potent on both sides of the football. Michigan did not give up a single sack. They only allowed one tackle for loss. That's elite Joe Moore Award offensive line caliber of play. Michigan, I speculated about this in my preview, were they hiding things? Had they not played to their ceiling? I think this game answered that the that absolutely. In the first four games, they had not played even close to their ceiling. I don't know if this game was to Michigan's ceiling. I know it was an A, maybe A-plus performance, but we don't know. There might be more in the bag and more in the cookie jar that this team hasn't grabbed and taken out yet. But a very efficient performance. 8 of 13 on third down, like I mentioned before. 26 first downs, nearly 40 minutes of possession. 8.1 yards per pass attempt, and that was factoring in backups. Same with the 4.9 yards per rush. All against a defense that was number two in defending the run. And after yesterday's performance by both Michigan and Nebraska in Memorial Stadium, Nebraska's rushing defense dropped all the way to 13th in defending the run, averaging 86.8 rushing yards per game allowed by the defense. Michigan is just ahead, allowing only 1.2 yards less of yards on the ground per game. They're 12th in rushing defense in the FBS. So looking at Michigan's performance, they butchered a defense that for four games prior looked like a top 50 defense, I would say easily. There's an argument that they were a top 25 defense overall. The problem was the offense wasn't producing. And the offense gave Colorado short fields to work with. And they gave Minnesota multiple opportunities for their offense to stay in the game. Remember, Jeff Sims threw a red zone interception. If they convert that field goal, the game at worst would have went to overtime. And he threw another interception when Nebraska was driving down the field after Minnesota tied the game on a like fourth and goal play, which tied it at 10-10. to If he doesn't throw that pick and Nebraska continues to drive, they probably win 13 to 10. So the defense has been put in bad positions all season. We saw that to a certain degree in this game, but it wasn't the same as the game against Colorado or the game against Minnesota, where Nebraska had turnover after turnover and punt after punt. Um, There was a lot of punting. There was a turnover. But most importantly, Nebraska tried to play winning football, and they went for it on fourth down several times, and Michigan just said, no, thank you. And they stuffed the run, they defended the pass, and Michigan executed with an efficiency that we haven't seen from them all season long. They looked efficient multiple times at multiple points through their first four games, even during the Bowling Green game. The defense did very well despite the special teams unit and the offense putting them in horrible positions. And looking at advanced metrics, Michigan had dominant performance after dominant performance in the first four weeks. But this week was different. 45-7 45-7 to seven, and 45 points scored before Nebraska breaks off a 74-yard run against Michigan's backups. That's an incredible performance by Jim Harbaugh, Jesse Minner as well. This offense is not great looking at Nebraska. It's not even a good offense, but to shut them out for this long, to limit the run game, that's very impressive by Jesse Minner. 
And for Sharon Moore as well, I mentioned earlier that he had a good game calling plays. Going back to the defense, Michigan limited Nebraska to averaging five yards per rush attempt. And if you factor out that 74-yard run, Nebraska only ran the ball. Just listen to this. This is very interesting. They only ran it for 32 yards on 20 carries. If you take out that 74-yard run, that's less than two yards per carry. Anthony Grant was held at 2.7 yards per rush attempt. Emmett Johnson only had two carries. Same with Janarian Bonner. And Bonner averaged 2.5 yards per rush attempt. Johnson averaged 4.5 yards per rush attempt. Heinrich Harburg had nine carries. He led the team in carries, but he was sacked four times and also had a few tackles for loss brought against him by guys like Kenneth Grant, Chris Jenkins, Jalen Harrell, Braden McGregor, um, Junior Colson. And at the end of the day, he had negative two rushing yards, and he averaged negative 0.2 yards per rush attempt. Whenever Heinrich Harburg had the ball in his hands, despite being a intimidating and athletic threat on the ground, Michigan, on average, pushed him behind the lines of scrimmage every time he tried to take off for a scramble or a designed run. That was a very impressive performance by Michigan's defense. And I think the offense and defense had an elite performance. Michigan's defense overall, I think, is elite. The offense, I'm going to attach myself to this label now. Not the elite label. I want to see more against better opponents, um, especially Penn State and Ohio State. I'm going to attach myself to the label that Michigan has a near-elite offense. And if I were to go bold, and if I didn't want to stick to the rule for every team that I'm not going to overreact, I would say that the Wolverines have an elite offense. The way they're able to run the football, they're able to pass with accuracy. There were Michigan had almost no mistakes outside of Sharon Moore's play calling on that fourth drive. Almost no mistakes. And the one tackle for loss allowed when Coram was tackled three yards behind the line of scrimmage in the second half. Those are the only two mistakes that I could point to. Also, Tyler Morris nearly muffing a punt. That's three. Three mistakes in a game with tens of plays. To be exact, Michigan had 51 rushing attempts, 23 passing attempts. That's 74. 74 plays with only three mistakes. That's about a mistake every 25 plays. That's really good. And only one of those mistakes could have been a turnover. Corum does not fumble. The tackle for loss just was putting Michigan out of their rhythm. And play calling, Michigan was able to flip the field. Tommy Doman had a good day. Um, He punted once for 65 yards. It was a touchback. He did, you know, outkick his unit, but he showed that he does have a powerful leg. And with you know, more training, more plays. Um, hopefully he isn't punting too much because Michigan wants to score more than they punt, but he will evolve into a better punter. James Turner also had one field goal attempt, and he made one field goal, and he had a long of 30, and he hit six out of six of his extra points. Tyler Morris and Jake Thaw combined for 41 yards of returning punts, and in total, they had two. So Michigan averaged around, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20, 15 to 20 
yards per punt return. I say 15 to 20 because I think Michigan might have had a third punt return as well, but I don't know if that's being registered or not. So the Wolverines did have a great performance overall. They're one of college football's most dominant teams. Praise to the coaching staff and also to the team. They did not break a sweat once. I mean, Ben Herbert knows how to get these his team conditioned, how to make them strong. Michigan is bigger, more athletic, and more intelligent. They're skilled, all at a greater level compared to last year and compared to 2021. This is going to be a great season if you're a Michigan fan. Uh, I think and I hope that Michigan goes 11-1, and 12-0. and 0. I'm hoping for that 12-0, and 0. speaking as a Michigan fan here. And from an objective level, I can say that Michigan is the best team in the Big Ten East. I know they don't have an impressive strength of record, but really only Ohio State does in the Big Ten, going down and beating a Notre Dame team who's 5-1 and one and who has a, ca- a capability to be clutch. Penn State, their best win is against West Virginia, where West Virginia was able to, you know, hang around for about, you know, three quarters before Penn State inevitably pulled away. Outside of West Virginia, Penn State's beat a terrible Illinois team, who's far worse than Rutgers, and they beat a terrible Northwestern team, who's also far worse than Rutgers, and I think worse than Nebraska as well. Potentially same with Illinois, though I want to do more research before I say that Nebraska's better than Illinois. But the Big Ten right now does not have a team outside of Ohio State that has an impressive strength of record, and I think Michigan, looking at advanced analytics... And the eye test is much better than any team in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State and Penn State. And I think they have an edge over those two teams right now. Thank you so much for watching this reaction and analysis video. I want to give a shout out to my patrons, Spencer Bringhurst, my All-American patron, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, my all-conference patrons. Make sure to check out my Patreon page via the link in the description. After all, you get extra content, you support the channel, your name gets shouted out, and I personally thank you at the end of each video. My power rankings had a very successful week five, so subscribe and hit the notification bell so you can get notified when I post about my power rankings on YouTube, and also check out my Patreon page again via the link in the description so that you can get insider access to power rankings predictions and my picks and predictions for games across the country every Saturday morning. Thank you guys so much for watching. I'll see you all around. Go blue and go big red. Bye-bye.